From the Allen Media Worldwide Headquarters Studios high atop two Turtle Creek, this, once again, is Deconstructing Dallas. Greetings, everyone. This is your host, Ryan Trimble, coming to you here from the Worldwide Headquarters Studios, joined once again, as always, by the Polynesian-inspired shirt-wearing Sean Williams. Sean, good day, sir. Good day, man. I was not sure if you'd be able to remember because it's been so long <laughs> what the intro even is. And so, number one, I'm impressed that you were able to get that together, as well as since we are coming right off of a holiday. I mean, you are already on your A game. It, I don't know if you left your holiday. You still got your <laughs> Hawaiian shirt on. It looks good, though. I love that shirt. I wanted to continue to stay in the theme because I did have a, a good, restful, relaxing um Holiday Labor Day, and I know you guys made it to the football game out of Cowboy Stadium. Yeah, we did. My my blushing bride, Lauren Auburn Trimble, literally her middle name is Auburn. Auburn took on Oregon in the Advocare Classic. That's the first game of the season at Jerry World because just like deconstructing Dallas uh, – Jerry World needs programming. so It's all uh, about content. It is all about content. So we went out. Uh, we made it through the first half. We took the kids, Sean. Oh, by the way, everybody, I had a kid over the summer since we spent since we uh, podcasted last. Yeah, I definitely had that on big updates or big <laughs> happening since our last Spoiler podcast. alert. Yes. Yeah, so we have a a, uh, a new kiddo. Congratulations then. Thank I, you. I will say that Thank now. Thank you. Tate, Tate Trimble. Tate Ryan Trimble uh, is uh, you know, our newest listener. So like it or not, Tate, you'll probably have to listen to this sometime. So uh, we took the kids out, though, uh, went with the in-laws and, and took in the Auburn v Oregon football game uh, and we had a great time Sean we left in the first early third quarter and saw Oregon basically uh, you know beat on Auburn for most of the game and then when we got home Auburn turned things around and somehow found a way to win well it was good having football back on TV you know on Thursday the Aggies got kicked off with Texas State got a, a much bigger test coming up this coming weekend at Clemson, which, as you and I were talking about, the hurricane is headed that way. So we'll see what changes may have to be made to that game. But a lot of a lot of good football, not a lot of great football. The game you saw was the only one between two top 25-rated teams. But I watched a lot of women's tennis over the weekend. Got my full fair share of Coco Goff and Taylor Townsend. It's a good weekend for, US, uh, for American women at, at the U.S. Open. And I did put on my... You know, uh, we in, during our time in meditation today, we talked a lot about, you know, looking forward and making goals. And for me, for next year, I plan to be at the U.S. Open. I love that, it. That is, I'm saying it here Sports now. Sports bucket I'm list. speaking it into the universe because that is what I wanted. And I've always worried about what happens when Venus and Serena retire and will I want to go to the U.S. Open and who will there be to go see. But now with all these women, Madison Keys, um, Sloane Stevens. Osaka. Osaka's awesome. She was good. That The interview that she did with Coco Golf afterwards. That's like the definition of leadership and inspiration. So, um, but yeah, so a lot of a lot of U.S. Open for me during the yeah, weekend. I love sports bucket list items. That's fun. Yeah. So now we we should talk about other things that have been going on. There, there's been so much in the two months since we have produced <laughs> yeah. a podcast. Yeah, you know, Sean. 
our client, we talk a lot about our client Walmart on the, on the show and, and tip of the cap to Walmart. Both uh, you and I got the opportunity to be on the ground uh, in El Paso following the tragic shootings uh, at the Walmart there in the great city of El Paso. Uh, it was quite an experience. I was there. I believe it was the the t- early Tuesday after the shooting through Thursday, and you got to go Saturday uh, for the for, for part of the the uh, Associates Memorial. So we both got to experience two different things in response to the uh, to the shooting. Got to work with some great professionals, and uh, you know, just just hats off to the Walmart team. It was really just an incredible experience to be out there. Yeah, I know you also spent time there right as the memorial. You were there basically as the memorial started. By the time I got there, the memorial stretched for what seemed to be like at least a quarter mile, um, you know, in remembrance to those who who lost their lives there at the Walmart. But what we got to see and what you got to see, and we talked to associates who were there in the store and who were hurting people out of the store, shepherding people they went into the, the protocol that they had in place for yeah. what happens if an active shooter comes onto uh, the property into the store and it's something that you hope that you never have to do but the associates and uh, the, the store manager there all did exactly what they were supposed to do and helped to, to, to try to stop any more lives from being lost than, than the too many that were already taken. Yeah, you know, we, we get to do a lot of cool things in our job, but I got to spend one full day with the store manager, Robert Evans, the, the store manager from the, the Walmart that uh, was, you know, was was uh, attacked by the, the, uh, the gunman. And in, he was out front as the gunman was coming in, and instead of running, he turned back around went into the store to make sure everybody was out. I mean, this guy, the the phrase, you know, uh, some heroes don't wear capes, I think it's overused, but this guy was truly a hero, really an incredible story. And, um, it, you know, w- when we were talking off air, you know, he had multiple interviews that we were, we were staffing him, but he said, you know, I'm not going to let this this guy take away my store and my associates and my future, and we're going to rebuild and we're going to reopen the store. And so... Just an incredible experience to be out there in El Paso. Well, Walmart was in the news today because Doug McMillan, um, he he listed out some items to associates that is now part of the news of some changes that Walmart plans to make uh, to the way they do business as it relates to firearms. And um, I, I think the three things that stood out based on the communication he made was they will discontinue the sales of sharp, sharp, short barrel rifle ammunitions. Uh, they will also discontinue handgun ammunitions, and they're going. Walmart will discontinue handguns sales in Alaska, which is the only market I believe that they are currently selling handguns. That's correct. That's correct. And so there will be no more handguns also being sold at Walmart. So, um, you know, hats off to Walmart uh, for taking a leadership in this air in this arena. They had already made a number of changes as it relates to related to how they um, sold firearms, but now they are taking it even further. And, and they are also uh, demanding that um, Congress take action as well. So, um, again, you know, a tragic situation uh, in El Paso, but as we both saw there, the people of El Paso are committed to uh, to making sure that they continue to be strong. And it's one of the the great, the best cities in America. I mean, people there, quiet hardworking town, people, friendly quiet, town. friendly people yeah. there. And so uh, a, a tragedy there, but they are committed to, to moving forward. 
Well, I'm glad we both got to be on the ground there and see that. We also, more recently, on a more uh, positive note, we got to be uh, on the ground for the opening of the new UNT Dallas Student Center. Yeah, that was fun and a, a great addition to the campus, a beautiful building for our city. The University of North Texas at Dallas did open their 131,000 square foot student center. And it, it was a live event, it was happening, it was music, they were pressing license plates, they were doing caricatures. Starbucks, who was gonna have a full store on campus, uh, was giving away um, samples, so it was it was awesome. We had a great it time. like you enjoyed your mini frappuccino. Uh, I love, a good, I love a good Frappuccino. And so even though it was many, you know, I would have loved <laughs> to have the real deal. But the great thing is Starbucks will be on campus and we can go yeah. and, and have a meeting at yeah, UNT Dallas and get our Starbucks absolutely. on. So, uh, And, you know, the other great thing is UNT Dallas just uh, passed now over 4,100 students who are part of the campus. So they are growing exponentially. And we saw State Senator Royce West there. Um, I got to chat with former state representative, Helen Giddings for a moment. Uh, Representative Carl Sherman was there. So it was a, a really exciting day. It was a hot day that day. It was toasty. really hot that day. It was a 100-degree day. But, you know, a lot of great places in the student center to read and duck off and have a good study session, maybe take a nap, whatever you need to do. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, don't they say the student center is the heart, the heartbeat of the university, the heart of the universe, something like that. It was vibrant, whatever. I mean, it was a lot of action going on down there i know that that place is going to get used and uh and it was a wonderful um the the banquet hall basically that we were in where they did the the um the press conference was yeah. was great a 5400 yeah. square foot i think they call it campus hall so um vibrant is definitely what i think we saw that day absolutely absolutely sean last one you've been working on a really fun project with our friend richie butler tell us a little bit about that well, Project Unity had their Together We Ball game at PC Cobb Fieldhouse uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was a great event. It's, an, it's their fifth one where they have members of the community, uh, pastors, uh, and police officers all playing together in a basketball game. When it first started, it was kind of a police versus pastors game, but now everybody's integrated on one team. They have uh, police officers from Dallas Police, from DART Police, uh, DPD. Uh, we had, I, I know, I, I remember, I think we saw Miguel Solis out there hooping from DISD. Justin Henry, also from DISD, was there. And so a, a lot of members of the community who were there, and Sheriff Brown was the only person to make a free throw. They had like a <laughs> Celebrity free throw shooting contest, and Sheriff Brown was the only person out of like 20 to make her. She's into her fundamentals. Shot. But then I saw um, in a news clip that she offered the opening prayer for the event, so maybe she might have had a little divine intervention. <laughs> divine there intervention. But it was yeah. a fun event, and you know, Project Unity and Pastor Butler are looking to, you know, bring together people from different races, different faiths, to have constructive conversations uh, and, and talk more about how we can can you know bridge the racial divide in the city but also how police and the community community can interact better so the kids and adults can have more positive interactions with law enforcement yeah that's great stuff that's great stuff well sean you also took the lead on recording this episode with our guest today 
Yeah, I had an opportunity to have a sit down with Christina Geyer, and she is the editor of Paper City Magazine. She, as so many of our guests, is a Mustang also from SMU. So I, um, you know, worked a lot when I had Dallas South News with the journalism department at SMU, and Christina came through that department at a time when fashion reporting was really starting to take off. And so we talk a little bit about that in the in the episode as and in the interview as well as talking to her about how they are able to continue to have a publication that is printed in a in an atmosphere when you know a lot of organizations are ceasing their print publications but uh, they continue to thrive so um, after we get done here for a, a quick break I'll have a chance to talk to Christina. What is it? What's the line from the office? Your paper provider in an increasingly paperless world? <laughs> Anyway, we're glad. Any office references are good reference. (laughs) I'm down. That's right. Well, we're grateful for uh, Christina. Thank you. I'm grateful for you taking the lead on this one. So stick with us. We'll be right back with our interview with Christina Geyer. This is Deconstructing Dallas. It's football season again, and SMU head coach Sonny Dykes has the Mustang football team ready to rumble this season. You won't want to miss any of the action on the hilltop this fall, and with season ticket packages starting at just 79 bucks, there's no excuse. With exciting players like senior wide receiver James Prochet and quarterback Shane Bouchelle leading the stampede, it's sure to be a big year. Do yourself a favor. Call my guys in the SMU ticket office at 214-SMU-GAME. That's 214-768-4263. Or visit www.smumustangs.com today and lock in your season tickets like I did. My guy David Silverstone will be waiting for your call. So what are you waiting for? Dial 214-SMU-GAME and pony up. This is Deconstructing Dallas. I am Sean Williams, and I am very excited today uh, to bring you one of our neighbors, like literally right around the corner from the Alameda Worldwide Studios. Today, I'm going to be talking to Christina Geyer. She is the Dallas Editor-in-Chief of Paper City Magazine. Christina, thank you for being on Deconstructing Dallas. Thanks for having me. So for anyone who doesn't know about your publication, could you just give like a broad overview of Paper City? Sure. So Paper City was started actually in Houston 25 years ago this year, so it's an anniversary year for us coming up. 
and 21 years ago in Dallas. So we were launched initially by our um, co-founder, Holly Moore, as a society publication. Okay. It was party picks, fashion. Um, it was a way for, she had a PR company at the time and thought there's nowhere for us to put these events that mm-hmm. our clients are hosting, people are going to. And so she modeled it after old Women's Wear Daily, old W Magazine. It was a tabloid format broadsheet publication and is it, that like a local publication or something somewhere else um w magazine and women's wear daily are um national fashion um society magazines that were super popular okay. based out of new york okay they still publish today women's wear i think is um online only w still has print but we'll see how long they mm-hmm. right. remain right um but it was it was really primarily you know society and, and party pictures um, and we've obviously evolved since then. We're now a um, full-blown magazine. Um, so we cover everything. We still do a lot of society, a lot of nonprofit. We work with a lot of a lot of nonprofits um, in terms of covering social events and fundraisers that go on. But we've evolved from there. So we're really a full-blown luxury lifestyle publication, covering everything from art to fashion, food travel, everything that the kind of 1% of Dallas or the very aspirational reader would want to know about. And you you guys were the first and the, and the oldest in Dallas. Yeah, so we're the oldest still in publication mm-hmm. um, that really focuses on luxury lifestyle. There are a few competitors in the market that we've um, that have been here a while, but in terms of longevity, we're the, mm-hmm. the longest, the oldest consistently running. And so what about your career? Like, I want to know about what you've done at Paper City. How long have you been with the company? How did you get started here? So I've had a very round, roundabout way, full circle journey. I started here the summer of 2008 as an intern. So I was a, um, I was going into my junior year at SMU. I got an email from the journalism department saying, you know, they send out blasts to all the mm-hmm. students. Um, and I, I got an email saying Paper City is looking for interns and I from a very young age always knew I wanted to work in magazines and I remember forwarding the email to my dad and saying oh my gosh dad if I want to work at Vogue one day if I want to be the editor-in-chief of Vogue Mm -hmm. I have to work at Paper City I have to get this internship will you please look at my resume is this okay to send and at the time it wasn't like kids now. They all have internships in high school. I had maybe one job on my resume. Mm-hmm. I, I had the fact that I went to SMU on my resume, and that was about it, um, and that I was a journalism major. And, and I applied for the internship and came in in July and started in August, going into my junior year. So I started as an intern. And I, you know, I when I had my website, Dallas South News, I had a number of writers from the SMU journalism department work with Jane Suler and Jake Batsell. And it's amazing how many really great uh, fashion and style writers who they have in that department. Yeah, and so this was, I mean, this was 2008, so this was before Instagram, mm-hmm. this was before everybody had a blog, and I was, I mean, there were a handful of, of people in the journalism department, and I was a journalism major, and so I worked, Jane Suler mm-hmm. is one of my closest kind of advisors and helped me along the journey, um, but there's an immense pool of talent there, and all of those students really fill in mm-hmm all of those internships in Dallas and it's pretty incredible and so that was my first kind of step into the door here um, and then I have a, an interesting story about how I got the job I was um, 
I was, it was a year had passed mm-hmm. and I knew I had wanted to stay on board going into my senior year as an intern and, and, or summer, yeah, summer going to my senior year. So I said, Brooke, Rob, the editors at the time, Brooke Hortenstein and Rob Brinkley, I said, can I stay another year? And they said, yes. And, um, and then at the time, Brooke Hortenstein was pregnant. So our staff was very small then. Mm-hmm. It was two editors, basically two people had my job and then an assistant editor. Brooke was pregnant and the assistant editor kind of unexpectedly quit a month before Brooke was due with her first child. And so keep in mind, this is now 2008, 2009, Mm -hmm. the bottom has fallen out of the economy. My parents are thinking, oh my God, we have a journalism and art (laughs) history major, daughter going to SMU, private school tuition, what have we done? She's never gonna work. Um, it was a really kind of scary time. It's a tight spot right there. Yeah, and <laughs> suddenly this coveted position opens yeah. up, and and Brooke um, invited me to apply for the job. She said, "I thought I think you've done a great job as an intern. You know the ropes. Mm-hmm. Um, you've grown a lot. I know you still have a year of college left, but why don't you apply for the job?" Mm-hmm. And I did, and it was I'll never forget that interview experience because it was sitting in the conference room. They did group interviews, 10 people in interview and multiple sessions. And it was journalists that had worked for 30 years at the Dallas Morning News that were willing to take, Mm -hmm. you know, what was an entry level, low paying job because the time was so different. It was such a crazy time for journalism, the whole world, but really journalism. So I applied for the job Um, a month or so later, they ended up hiring me. And the funny part is Brooke called me and, and she said, we want to offer you the job. Um, the only two conditions are you have to realize you're not the best writer that we could have hired. So this is your time to just put your head down and learn. Mm-hmm. And she said, and I know you're from California, but you can never say the word like again. <laughs> <laughs> so I very diligently try and limit my use of the word like. So that would be difficult. Although like seems to me making a comeback. I don't know. I try really hard not to use it. I'm very mindful. But uh, so, yeah, so then I started as the assistant editor that summer um, with help from the journalism department, Mm -hmm. was able to really figure out how to finish school and go to work full time at the same time. Um, I graduated in May 2010 with the rest of my Mm -hmm. kind of colleague students um, that I had been working for almost a full year at that point. Um, So I was here for three to four years and then went and worked for FD Lux, which was Mm -hmm. the Dallas Morning News' luxury lifestyle publication that's no longer longer publishing. Uh, The editor, Rob Brinkley, who was here, ended up going and taking over the publication there and I went with him. And then here we are almost five years Later, they asked me to come back as editor-in-chief. And when, when did you become the, the editor-in-chief? So the, I was trying to figure that out. It was about, I think this will be my, this will be, it'll be five years in September. Okay. Four okay. or five years in okay. September. And um, I had a stint at a startup and realized it was not for me. Mm-hmm. Took a step back and reevaluated my life. I had never applied for a job before right. aside from Paper City. And mm-hmm. so I thought maybe I'll go into philanthropy or marketing or development, something totally different. Mm-hmm. And Holly and Jim called and said, do you want to go to lunch? Holly and Jim are co-owners. And I said, sure. And I remember in my mind thinking, the only way I'm going back is if I'm going to be editor-in-chief. And we sat down for lunch, and that's what it was. And so here I am 
Paper City is my family. That's cool. And yeah. I mean, over the years, even from starting as a as an intern and now you're editor in chief, like you got to have a favorite story or a favorite, you know, interview or something that's memorable that you you can think about. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I mean, hands down, I've interviewed a lot of really cool people. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone from Lady Gaga, which is pretty funny. She was here in 2009 or 10 for an event at North Park, and this okay. was right before she had become mega Lady Mm -hmm, Gaga. mm -hmm. So, you know, that to me wasn't all that memorable because at the time it was kind of, I remember, you know, Instagram, none of this existed. Mm -hmm. So I remember she performed at a fashion event at North Park and I remember texting my friends, is this the girl who sings that song that we listen to when we're going out at night? Uh You know, Uh we didn't know who she was. But um, I've interviewed a lot of really cool people. Hands down to me, the best interview and it really wasn't even the longest or most in-depth but um i was fortunate to interview carl lagerfeld oh wow when he was in dallas um for their chanel did their big fashion show and this was when i was at fd lux but we uh had the opportunity to send one reporter to interview him immediately after the fashion show on the runway just like you would be in new york or paris during fashion week and it was one of those incredible moments that I think you, as a as a journalist, there are people on your list of, right. if I could interview that one person. And for me, it was one of them was Carl Lagerfeld. And uh, it was, you know, two minutes, two very fleeting, crazy minutes surrounded by a group of, you know, hundreds of people, mm-hmm. cameras, everything. And um, of course, no one cares about me. They all, everybody's <laughs> trying to get to Carl. And... Um, and, you know, now it was interesting when he died earlier this right. year, it was even more poignant because the last question I asked him, I said, what would Coco Chanel herself have thought of the runway show or the clothes that you just presented? What would she have thought about the show? And he just kind of stood back and, you know, was so engaged and yeah. looked at, you know, dead in the eye, kind of thought about it. And he smiled and he said, now that's a question that no one will know the answer to. <laughs> And so when he died, it was kind of this weird sentimental feeling of like, gosh, all the questions that I think so many people would have loved to have asked him. Right. And that's the fun part of my job is whether we're interviewing people like Karl Lagerfeld. Mm -hmm. I interviewed a really interesting person, considers himself a witch, and I truly believe he is. His name's uh, Corbin, and he has a company called Sage and Salt, and we sat down for an interview uh, a few months ago, and it was... 50 minutes of my life that was completely expansive and you you get to ask people questions in this blank slate way that Did he share any spells with you um no specific spells but he is helping me learn how to read tarot cards which okay. i'm pretty excited well, that's about something. yeah mm-hmm. no but it, it's interesting people i think we i look up to people like Oprah mm-hmm. and Barbara Walters and these incre- people like you. I mean, you you sit and you do something like this. You ask people questions Absolutely. because you just genuinely want to know. And and the best people, I think the best interviewers are the ones who realize that people are there, in most cases, to hear the subject, right? Like Oprah could be the one to talk 50 minutes of a 60-minute interview, but she's asking the questions because, like today, I want to hear what you're saying and whoever you're interviewing. Yeah, and, and so it's, you know, Carl Lagerfeld was tops, uh, tops for me. It was a really pivotal moment. Laura Bush mm-hmm. was another. If you look over on the other side of my desk, there are only ever two photos of myself that'll be in this office. Mm-hmm. One is with me and Carl Lagerfeld, and the other is is me with Laura Bush. Um, Mrs. Bush was probably the most gracious person I've ever interviewed in my life. Mm -hmm. And of all the people 
that don't have to be gracious right. and don't have to give you time. She's one of them. And she did um, a big exhibition of fashion for Oscar de la Renta at um, the Bush Institute a few years ago. And I was told by the team at the Bush Institute that I could ask a few questions mm-hmm. and interview Mrs. Bush. And I get to the Bush Center and I'm so nervous because it's a first lady and, and she's people like that are larger than life. Um, They have a presence about them. And I thought I would have my two minutes with Mrs. Bush and then I'd be asked to quickly leave. Um, People that high profile typically want questions vetted Mm -hmm. beforehand and and don't want to give you a whole lot. And that was not the case with Mrs. Bush at all. It was unprecedented access. We walked the exhibition with the CEO of Oscar de la Renta and Mrs. Bush and I, and she talked about personal memories from Jenna's wedding mm. and um, talked about the president and mm-hmm. he had, he wished he could be there, but he had a, he'd hurt his foot or something. I mean, she was so lovely and so engaged. And I think the people that are most memorable are memorable either because they have an incredible presence or because they just, they truly engage with you. Like I said, the witch is not on the same, Corbin, he's right. not on the same level in terms of fame or notoriety as, as a Laura Bush or a Karl Lagerfeld, but it's memorable, memorable. because yeah. they really engage with you. Um, Absolutely. Well, um, this is Deconstructing Dallas. I am with Christina Geyer, the editor-in-chief of Paper City Magazine here in Dallas. When we come back, I'm uh, going to talk about how Paper City has fared in a, um, shall we say, tumultuous news industry over the last decade or so. So stay with us after the break. This is Sean Williams, Sands, Ryan Trimble. We'll be right back. Here at Allen Media, we're proud to represent some of the finest organizations across a variety of different industries. And we're proud to welcome Pape Dawson Engineers to that list of outstanding firms. Pape Dawson is one of Texas's finest and most respected engineering firms. And now, the company is expanding its presence here in Dallas. Whether you're looking for civil engineering, transportation, water resources, environmental or surveying projects, Pape Dawson has the experience needed to get the job done. What's more, Pape Dawson is committed to responsible corporate citizenship in the communities they serve. So if you need an engineer, do yourself a favor and call my friend Brad Davis here in Dallas at 214-420-8494 today and tell him Ryan told you to call. Pape Dawson, where the people make the difference. Welcome 
welcome back. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Sean Williams. I am with Christina Geyer. She is the Dallas editor in chief of Paper City Magazine. You know, Christina, you talked a lot, a little bit. You alluded to like um, the state of journalism and. 2008, 2009 was really a tumultuous time. I think about, I was on a, uh, with a group called the Sense Makers, and we went to St. Petersburg, Florida, to the Pointer Institute to talk about what's next and what are the next steps in journalism. And it has really, I mean, there's really still no answer, but yet Paper City's managed to thrive, and you guys are still putting out a print edition, which everybody's not doing these days. So what has, like, been, the, I won't say the secret, but what has been the formula for you guys to be able to maintain in such, you know, tumultuous times so I think national publications so your Vogue your Wall Street Journal your New York Times they have a much different challenge than regional publications Mm -hmm. so in that sense Paper City and and the people making business decisions have been really savvy um, in knowing that we have a captive audience. And so we live in this age now, and the way I look at it is we live in this age of the quote-unquote influencer. Mm -hmm. And right now that means the very stylish girl on Instagram with 1.3 million followers. But um, in talking to a lot of different people in the business, advertisers, writers, editors, um, I think there's this shift right now going back to this quote-unquote micro-influencer. So the influencer that might not have the 1.3 million followers that has the 500,000 followers, but they're really engaged. And so when you look at a publication like Paper City and our reader loyalty Mm -hmm. and our captive audience and the niche that we've been able to build, that is still in high demand when you talk about advertisers or you talk about strategic partners. And so... Knowing that our reader is the most affluent, well-educated group of individuals in the city, both in Dallas and in Houston, um, has really helped keep us on a solid platform. So there's still the demand for big brands wanting to extend their brand in the magazine Mm -hmm. through traditional advertising. I think also the big question I asked before deciding to come back and and take on this job was, what is our digital strategy? Digital is really important, and having a flexible enough platform to be able to pivot quickly is also really important. And about a year before I started back at Paper City, the company made a really big investment into its digital product. Okay. And I think a lot of companies, it's the chicken before the egg. It's do we put the big investment into the platform, knowing that if our team has the right tools to create really engaging content, that the advertisers and the, the revenue will come, a lot of people have a hard time biting that bullet. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's when you look at some of these bigger publications, that was their trick. And so um, Paper City was really wise in that they invested in digital um, and and really revamping the product to make it something that is accessible and desirable. Um, The newsletters that we send out on a weekly, on a daily basis, I think now we're up to five a week. The number of people I hear that are like, oh, I read that in your newsletter. It's huge. And Mm -hmm. it's not just your millennial that you would think is online. It's the 80-year-old grand dame of Dallas society that's reading it on her iPad. Which is why it's important to be totally multi-platform because some people like email. I hate email. Some people are going to get it on Instagram. It's like you now you have to be everywhere. Yeah, and so I think that's part of the success is really marrying print and digital in terms of a brand and looking 360. I mean, you hear about this all the time now, 360 experience. 
yada, yada, yada. And in my opinion, I read something recently and someone said oh, in, in the world of publishing, you talk about it's all about experience now. It's all about experience, which it's true. I think if you're in the magazine business and you don't do events, if you're mm-hmm. not... Right finding engaging ways to to work with your partners differently than just traditional advertising in print or online, then you're totally stale. But I love this because, again, I can't, I wish I could remember who said it, but the idea of picking up a magazine, a hard copy magazine and flipping through the pages in and of itself is an experience. And that's something that I think we need to not forget in the industry and that we really value at Paper City is, we respect people's time with the product. The print product still remains so strong because every inch of that magazine is well thought out. It's not advertorial disguised mm-hmm. as editorial. It's authentic, real work, whether mm-hmm. it's a beautiful portfolio of images that our creative director has put together, or it's a really thoughtful story about gay culture in Dallas, or it's a fun, fluffy group of photos from the hottest gala in town, every single second that someone spends with our book, we want them to feel like they gained something from it. And so that coupled with really smart business practices, we're a lean team, Mm -hmm. um, but we're a smart team. We have a dedicated digital editor here in Dallas, which I think is also really important. You can't always expect that your print team is going to pick up the slack of digital. There has to be balance there. My, Mm -hmm. my print team here contributes to the digital product regularly and they love to, but it's 60, 40 print Mm -hmm. to digital. And so having that, that balance and making sure that the brand feels really integrated and, and we do do events with partners. Um, we have an event called Texas design week, which is now, I believe in its fifth or sixth year in Dallas. Um, we do it in, in Dallas and in Houston, and it's an entire week that revolves around um, an entity called the Dallas Design Awards, where we invite submissions in different categories for interior design and then allow a panel of nationally known, internationally known judges um, to independently choose the winner. And then we announce them at a big event, and surrounding that event are different panels, book signings, talks, and we, we partner with the design industry in the city on that event and it's a great way for us to diversify revenue but extend the brand and connect with people that are both reading our magazine being featured in our magazine mm-hmm. um so in terms of experience i think that's really important but at the end of the day if we fail to remember that the actual magazine itself and whether it's you go to our website what is that experience like when you get there or if you pick up our book what is that experience like if you sacrifice that quality you're done right. and I hate saying this, but there's so many national magazines that I used to read religiously that I will not pick up right. anymore because I think there's been a lot of sacrifice on the quality to either get things done quicker or appease advertisers mm-hmm. um, and and it loses value. And so I think, you know, we're very fortunate in Dallas that we have the ability to maintain strong editorial um, while also being able to still see the importance of visibility within the market, relationships with our advertisers, and and capitalize on the fact that we are the oldest game in Dallas Mm -hmm. and we have buy-in from the community and we do a, you know, tremendous effort in recruiting that new reader online that then will become our print reader that keeps it on their, you know, the, keeps the magazine on the coffee table and their Highland Park mansion Mm -hmm. 10 years from now. So, um, it's, it's definitely a mix of all things. Now, 
we talked a little bit about in the first segment, even when we in between the break, we talked about you going to SMU and, and the program there. Like, what do you tell students? What do you tell pe- people who are interested in getting into journalism or fashion writing? What are what are what is your advice to them? Um, don't get into it unless you lo- you love it and you want to live and breathe it and work your tail off for it mm-hmm. because it is not the industry to get into if you want to make a billion dollars or if you want to get a big fat bonus at the end of mm-hmm. every year you you don't do this job for the money none of us do everybody that we work with here um, and everybody that I've worked with throughout my career they do this work because they're passionate about the stories that they're telling about the brand that they're representing about the impact that our magazine has on the community on on the city on kind of the web of the history mm-hmm. of, of Dallas. Um, so don't get into it if you if you want to be rolling in the dough. That's not it. Right. Um, you can be very successful, though. I think I've been able to sustain myself. I'm not living on. You know, I think there's a big misconception. Well, it's probably actually a fair perception of the industry that a lot of people especially in New York that work for these big national mm-hmm. fashion magazines and, and women's magazines that they're, you know, riding on the coattails of a wealthy family or a spouse. And to an extent, I think there is a lot of that in the business. But if you work really hard, there's no reason why someone like me who is not sitting in family money mm-hmm. or doesn't have a spouse um, can't make a living for themselves that's sustainable. But you do. You have to pay your dues. Right. I have a younger brother who wants to go into interior design, and it's a very similar industry in that you have to start at the very bottom. Absolutely. You have to be willing to do the hard work. You have to be willing to work the long hours, and, and it doesn't get any easier. The higher up you get, it just gets harder. And so I think part of it is, you know, the first is understand that if you don't have the passion for it, um, don't do it. Mm-hmm. But also make connections and be nice. I right. think right. the that's another, you know, people come in and the office for the first time and they think they're going to walk into Double Wear's Prada. <laughs> and I tell them, no, half the time I'm here in jeans and a t-shirt yeah. or workout clothes if it's mm-hmm. a really busy deadline well, day. Well, not today, so I guess, you know, I guess I should feel good because you're not. Yeah, I mean, I had some meetings this morning, so I had to put on <laughs> real clothes. But um, no, it's. I think that's another big thing is that everybody in this industry is, um, is actually really nice. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's there. There's that devil wears Prada stigma that everybody that works in fashion or everybody that works in magazines has to be this stressed out jerk. And that's not true at all. Um, the reason I am where I'm sitting right now is because I, I one, I worked really hard, but I maintained relationships yeah. with the people that I worked for. Um, I mean, I left Paper City the first time to go work for one of the magazine's direct competitors. And the owners of Paper City didn't come back several years later and ask me to be their editor-in-chief, you know, because I was mean or nasty. Right. Exactly. You, you maintain those relationships, and I think at the end of the day, um, being nice goes a long way, and being respectful to the people that work for you. I'm pretty young to be in the position that I'm in. I was young when I was named editor-in-chief. I was 27 years old, I think, and I remember thinking, gosh, people are, you know, we we switched formats of the magazine a year into my job um, here. We went from broadsheet to perfect bound, and I was so nervous with that debut issue. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, people are either going to think this is really good for someone who's only 27, (laughs) 
or this is terrible, but they have a young editor. And the response that I got from the community when that debut Perfect Bound issue came out in September of 2016 was so overwhelmingly kind. Um, PR people, advertisers, Mm -hmm. people that are now friends that were colleagues, um, the amount of support that goes around you. And I really do believe that what you put out comes back. Mm -hmm. And so if you support other people, they support you. And so when I, I talk to students, I think it's important to remember, you know, be kind to others, be kind to yourself. This is an industry where burnout is rampant. And if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to go very far in the long run. So yeah, it's, it's just a combination of, of put the energy out that you, you want to get back. And it, it really is true. Well, for those folks who want to get the magazine to find you online, find the magazine online to find you online, like what what are some of the ways people can can find you guys? So um, the website is papercitymag.com and you can find Dallas, Houston, both editions at that at that URL, um, or Paper City Dallas on Instagram, um, which is probably the best way to find us. You can search Paper City Dallas mm-hmm. on Facebook as well. For me personally, I'm Christina M. Geyer on Instagram and all other social channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of that good stuff. But yeah, it's papercitymag.com. Well, this has been a fascinating look at um, one of the the really true um, sought-after publications in town and something that people talk about. You guys do a really good job, and so I want to thank you for taking the time to, to come on with us today. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I'm lucky to do what I get to do every day. Absolutely. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Sean Williams, still waiting for Ryan Trimble to come back. We'll be right back after this break. Deconstructing Dallas, he, Sean Williams, me, Ryan Trimble. Sean, really, really enjoyed that interview with Christina. Thanks for uh, taking the lead on that. Yeah, it was great. In a world that I'm not as familiar with, the fashion world, but while we were on hiatus, I did get to go see the Dior uh, exhibit at the Dallas Museum of Art, so did get a little culture in that way. So um, it, w- it was great. It was great talking to Christina and, you know, it's good to hear how they have really tried to take the lead in a tumultuous time in general for journalism and, and publications. But they found a, a niche for themselves. And it's good that she's been able to find make a career out of something that she loves. Well, I appreciate your passion for fashion. You drive me to buy <laughs> polka dot shirts and, and flowered shirts. Man, and so I mean, thank you. you. You have definitely I don't know who is the inspiration, but you have definitely taken your game up uh, your fashion game up in the last few it's not just the white shirt and red tie anymore <laughs> I mean you've, you've definitely although taken that's it up. still there that Very is, that's, that's definitely the base <laughs> yeah but it is not exclusive yeah loafers 
drop in some loafers once in a while. I know, that, and that, that's dressed down for you, like me. Like again, I got on now. Bill, our creative director, <laughs> who will have his Hawaiian shirt on with shorts and flip flops. Yeah, I generally always wear socks. I got on jeans today, and I got on uh, my button down. And I would say, yeah, it's tropical. You throw for sure. a blazer on this that and go to a meeting, man. I could. I need. Well, I don't know. Okay, no, well, that might be a bit much. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Sean, big weekend. Uh, last weekend, ponies gut out a gritty win against Arkansas State in Jonesboro, 37-30. And so they are 1-0 on the season, and they welcome UNT, the Mean Green, to campus, to Ford Stadium this weekend. You probably heard on one of our commercials that uh, you can still get season tickets. That, that should be a really entertaining game. UNT had a... Uh, interesting season last year for a minute I thought they would go undefeated and then they petered out a bit at the end but their quarterback is is really yeah. highly thought of and should should present a problem for you guys so you know as, as always I'm for the hometown team that's right but um, you know UNT and if, if if they win this one I may slide a little bit because <laughs> I'm always down for a good undefeated season yeah yeah well, Sean, uh, appreciate you cheering for the ponies, as always. I um, want to take a moment of personal privilege uh, just for one second. We mentioned we had a busy summer. Welcomed our, our kiddo into the world, our second kiddo, Lauren, and I did on my birthday, June 23rd. Uh, nine days later, we actually lost my father, uh, Will Trimble. So uh, in honor of, of um, my dad, you know, wanted to, wanted to do this episode in honor of him. And so... Um, you know, appreciate everybody who who had reached out. Uh, thank you for for all your your support and your love. And so, um, Dad, we miss you and we love you, and know you're uh, smiling down on us. So, thank you, Sean. Well, you know, we've been praying for you and your family, and uh, just again admire how you have handled everything that has been related to that and, you know, uh, welcoming a new addition to your family and continue to work for our clients. So um, we we definitely want to be here with you and your family as you continue to go through this. And you know that your mom is literally part of our family here. So uh, we, we always welcome her and, and thank her for being such a supportive part of our show. So Deconstructing Dallas is back. We thank everybody for tuning in to this episode. Make sure you tell a friend that we're back and make sure you tell them to download this episode. And what else should you do? Tell them to subscribe. Make sure that they subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a review. Give us five stars. Make sure that we know that you are here and you are with us. So we want to thank Jennifer Pascal. We want to thank Thank Mary Woodleaf. We want to thank our whole Allen Media crew. We want to thank Christina Geyer for allowing uh, us to come into our office and be part of our show. And we want to thank you, our listeners, because without you, there's no reason for us to even do this. So uh, we appreciate all the emails, all the tweets, and all the text messages telling us who we should chat with. We are scheduled to talk to Gromer Jeffers from the Dallas Morning News on our next episode. A lot of interesting political topics to talk to him about. So check us out on that one. For Ryan Trimble, I am Sean Williams. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Adios. Thank <laughs> you.